0: A window through the ages, the poem behind the pages we scroll. Sickness and speed, how the superhighway takes its toll. We drove past what was lost and found neon skies of newness. We breathed like men half drowned, drank polluted streams like men dying of thirst, raced to the library to see who could first unscroll the future. The present may be only its own lonely meta-commentary, but tomorrow can be pure picturesque, and more about the painting than its score. Lovely. Thank you. <laughs> might
1: I just say, I look forward to hearing your poems every week.
0: Thank you. Might I just say, I, I dread reciting them every week.
1: Ah, uh, <laughs> understandable. Okay,
0: next week, you can write one. How about that?
1: Oh my, so I am it's not. it's pressure,
0: right? It's pressure.
1: But you, you have the poet energy, well, whereas I don't.
0: I have the nervous energy, because sure. I feel like um, there's a lot of pressure on it, because it might be someone's first episode listening. So if it is, welcome to Sewer Scene.
1: Yeah, this week we're answering some questions about degrowth that we posed on last week's episode. And as Aaron's poem alluded to, we're going to be covering topics such as degrowth and art, degrowth and technology, and living off the grid, which you and I this week have been almost exclusively talking about <laughs> due to a number of factors. We
0: have, we have. We'll get into that. So we're going to start with, um, with art. The thing is like when I try and write a poem for this, for this podcast I always think okay we're just trying to paint a picture of the future. Yeah. But then sometimes I get this really evil urge to like oh but I, maybe I want to criticize the present. Mm. So that's kind of what the poem was about. It's like Yeah. Let's be positive. That's mm-hmm. that's what it's about. So yeah, degrowth and art that was the question we posed, not really a question, it's no. just a topic. This week we kind of made a little promise that we're going to try and form legitimate actionable questions Mm because otherwise we're just directionless yes so where did you which direction did you take this question
1: I essentially tried to define what degrowth art would look like because right now there isn't much Mm. as we know as we were preparing to publish our zine we were looking for degrowth artists and there was basically one that we came across
0: yeah I mean that we found so many that were comics newspaper comics or cartoonists Mm -hmm. that were all about criticizing Mm -hmm. today but it's like that's not really it looking for the other side of the coin
1: yeah and then I also took it in a direction of what does art look like in the future in terms of how we integrate it into our daily lives so I think I'm going to start with that if you don't mind yeah that's good so we were recently watching as we mentioned a few weeks ago this BBC or this YouTube video about the Scottish Highlands (laughs) yeah and What really stuck out to me from that was there is this reenactment of a cattle herders cabin up on a hill in the Scottish Isles where for months at a time, they would go up there with their cattle and then come down during the winter months. Right. And these people were lower class. They were farmers. They just kind of lived off the land. But even then, they really valued making things beautiful. So it said in this documentary, they scraped together enough money to have their wardrobe and their headboard all decorated with this really beautiful imagery. And the wardrobe that was in his little cabin in the woods, basically, is more beautiful than anything I've ever owned because it's just there was such a value to making daily little things nice. And it also in that documentary was talking about engraving baby cradles, how they would even their tools that they would use in the farm would have these really beautiful paintings or engravings on them. And we don't really do that anymore. It's like a knife is a knife. We don't care if there's a beautiful detail on it or whatever. That's true.
0: And what I thought you were going to say was that there was a family home, which was quite a poor family, but they Mm -hmm. made a point of emphasizing how even the poorest families would have some kind of musical instrument.
1: Yes, that as well. But there is just such a value on art that I feel like we have lost in almost all areas of our lives because right now it's like if you're going to get a handmade utensil it's going to cost 10 times the amount and even then it might not be made to last mm. so why would you bother spending the money on that or the time to make it yourself but in a degrown future I imagine things are just a lot more beautiful because we're going to value them right now we don't value the plates that we're eating on but in the future I imagine we will
0: decorative plates you mean Sure.
1: I also love how historically, I feel like we raised artists. Like today, I feel like no one's raised an artist the way they perhaps used to be.
0: What do you know mean by that?
1: You know what I mean that? by that? Okay. Basically, I feel like kids, they'd be trained in language, they'd be trained in maths and science, but they'd also be trained in art for the most part. Like all of the abstract artists, they had a background in classical art, and they were all a bit more privileged, but I think we're in school for 13 years, there could be more of an emphasis on... art and more practical things.
0: I definitely think that. I don't know that it was the case that it was more democratic in the past. I think it was always just rich kids and private schools that taught art. But I definitely do think that's um, something that should filter to general education. Yes. No doubt. When I was thinking about degrowth art, I had a similar kind of path that I charted, which is that there isn't exactly degrowth art Mm -hmm. because... um, well, I, I was kind of contrasting it to other movements or ideologies, such as a couple we're going to talk about later, cottage Core being one, mm-hmm. Dark Academia, even Solarpunk mm-hmm. um, is one that's maybe the most analogous to degrowth. All these other kind of internet uh, subcultures or niches that have maybe political or lifestyle undertones have provoked art in the name mm-hmm. in their name. So Solarpunk has produced a whole genre of. Uh, graphic designers mm-hmm. and even some writers yeah. and things like that. And some movies with degrowth, it's like, it's almost the opposite. It's almost as if the movement or the ideology is at least heavily inspired by, if not directly coming from aesthetics, mm-hmm. I think, uh, which is rather interesting. It's kind of like the other way around. So yeah, there isn't really a current genre of art that like espouses the virtues of de- of degrowth. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more like all through history, there have been representations of the ideal mm-hmm. an Arcadia, some kind of pastoral utopia, yep. which I think degrowth, the contemporary movement draws heavily from. Yeah. And uh, I don't want to spoil the zine, but we have like a whole reading list in there. Mm-hmm. I guess for some, something that we've mentioned on the podcast before, Studio Ghibli films, mm-hmm. I think uh, especially, say, My Neighbor Totoro, mm-hmm. that's like super degrowth.
1: Yeah, for sure. I envision degrowth art as a mix between pastoral and like the futurist movement. And I just Googled degrowth art and this guy called Don Dixon came up. Have you come across his art? No. And this is almost exactly what I was trying to encapsulate in a page of words, but that's kind of hard to do. So I found his art, which is almost perfect. It's this pastelli, looks like a kid's book, but... The, it's slightly distorted in the perspective and there's technology and there's just people on the land so i'll show you this picture
0: oh wow that's wild and kind of confusing mm-hmm. but yeah it reminds me a little bit of the end of interstellar with like mm-hmm. the curved planet but yes. everything's all very green
1: yeah and i'll show you one more of his pieces just really bright colors that i feel like the pastoral. Paintings often have a bit more muted colors, but I imagine the future a bit more bright and obviously technology integrated into these really naturey places.
0: Yeah, that's very nice. The really kind of bucolic pastoral paintings of old, I don't think the colors have faded since they were that's painted. That's true. But that's yeah, true. I agree. A couple other things I wanted to say about art that weren't just paintings or visual art mm-hmm. were that it would generally be like some kind of themes uh, in art in the degrowth world. And I know, like that you mentioned the different ways with which we would interact with it. Mm-hmm. Another one that came to mind is that there'll be much less celebrity culture for the biggest mm. artists. Like, um, I don't know, Wes Anderson. Mm-hmm. It's like we'd just know his films and study them. Mm-hmm. But there wouldn't be like any celebrity gossip, I mm-hmm. say. Yeah, a couple other mediums that I think would be important in terms of manifesting degrowth, I suppose, architecture. Yes. So sustainable architecture using really old, forgotten, as well as new technologies mm-hmm. to save energy and materials. Um, I think that's very inspiring, as well as upcycled fashion. Mm. This is something that we're already seeing like really trendy. Mm-hmm. Hopefully it doesn't go out of trend. I feel like it might, but hopefully that yeah. doesn't happen. It's very popular on TikTok and it's also frugal and mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's more inexpensive, which is, which is a plus when it comes to trying to make these things popular.
1: Yeah, I am getting into making my own clothes, as I've mentioned, but as I get into that, I am learning just how expensive it is, and that is why people do not make their clothes anymore, because I figured, oh, how much is a ball of yarn? Apparently, it's $16 for a nice ball of yarn, hmm. and you need like 8 or 10 to make a sweater, so it's way more expensive than buying one new or used.
0: And also, the sweater might turn out. Tiny. T- tiny. <laughs> you might
1: end up with a tiny sweater if you cannot get your gauge right. <laughs> I felt so silly last night. I went out with a couple of girls who are knitters, and I'm just getting into crocheting. And I was like, yeah, the gauge was off. And like, I felt the vibe shift as if in a. they were like, ooh, your gauge is off. And I was like, no, it's no big deal. But then I learned this morning, yeah, it was a big deal. So I appreciated their kind of words of warning. And I'll give them to you if you're getting into making your own clothes. <laughs> I feel like in a de future, there will also be more artists. Like, everyone will have a little bit of artists in them. Right now, we all would never call ourselves artists. Yeah. Even though I feel like we're kind of born them. I know that's like a cliche thing to say. Mm. Like, there's an art in how you decorate your home, how you prepare your food and serve it. But we're all a bit more utilitarian. And I feel like we've all been kind of forced into this just-do-what-you-have-to sort of mentality to survive. But it's like... Giving an extra 20 minutes a day to value how you arrange your rooms, your plates, your outfits. Yeah. Just kind of feel the artist within you. And I feel like everyone will do that a bit more in the future.
0: I think it very broadly depends on your definition for art. I yes. don't i don't think that it, it's ever the case that like the majority of the population is going to consider themselves hyper-creative. Mm-hmm. But I do think it's the case that the majority of the population... Um, would benefit from some kind of creative outlet on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. And that could be whatever. I mean, I've always thought that conversation can be art. It's like mm-hmm. you're speaking it. That's that's my pretentious way of viewing this podcast.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and I mean like people it just used to be the standard for people to sketch and paint on the walls of their homes that's and true, yes. write letters, which we don't do anymore. Mm. So
0: I didn't want really want to comment on like, oh, sketching on paper is so much better than sketching on a tablet because I feel like it's it's far be it from us to to judge or criticize how people want to be creative. Mm-hmm. I mean we've both made like digital art before. Yeah. And it, it scratches, I think, a lot of the same itch. I do think that the haptic feedback you get from using a piece of paper or an easel or a real instrument yeah. is uh is pretty great. And I do think degrowth encourages those things. Mm-hmm. But I I think all art is all art is valid. I'll use a buzzword. It's yes, valid.
1: One hundred percent. I used to be like a bit anti graphic design before I tried it I suppose before right. I understood the software a little bit and then I was like oh this is almost the exact same brain yeah, function it does. that it you puts like you do in the use. same
0: in the same space
1: yeah which is really neat that that's like an option and pretty accessible like all you need is a screen and a mouse sort of thing and it's fun cuz then it's like if you mess up you don't have to throw a bunch of paper so you said you didn't want to gripe about using digital art or digital alternatives to making music or interacting with worlds. But would you like to gripe about using those things in a different way, perhaps?
0: What are you you, you alluding to, Alicia?
1: I'm alluding to the metaverse, Aaron. Right. This morning, you subjected me to watching almost an hour and a half. You literally left at one point (laughs) of Mark Zuckerberg talking about the metaverse. Yeah. And I had almost a similar reaction to the reaction I had watching Dear Evan Hansen. It was like a, oh, sim- it was okay. a similar like guttural, this is not right. Are we
0: going to go here? This is like our first, <laughs> our first on-air roast session. And it's like a double whammy. It's Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> as well as Dear Evan Hansen. We might have some theater kids in the audience who are like, hey, I love that movie.
1: It's a you problem, I, I suppose.
0: I mean, we don't often comment on news as it happens. Mm-hmm. But this, this just felt like a special, very, very topical exception.
1: Yes. Well, we were going to talk about living off the grid.
0: Yeah, okay. Before
1: even learning about the metaverse, we were both thinking this week it would be really nice just because you can kind of avoid all of the turmoil and the constant like roller coaster of emotions that come along with living in an urban area. Because, like, we both intentionally try to avoid news because it's just too tumultuous. And I feel like you can't actually make progress if every day you're just being kind of like slapped in the face. But when you live in an urban area, Especially during COVID, you literally need to check the news or else you don't know if you're going to go to the grocery store and doors be closed, as has happened to us. So, going off the grid is quite appealing right now. Same with just the food we're eating and the, like, in the winter, I just always crave a wood fire versus like turning on a knob on the wall sort of thing. So, we were craving it before learning about the metaverse, but then once we learned about that, we said, get us off get us out of
0: here. Okay. Well, <laughs> okay, let's let's rewind a little bit. Okay. Because that video came out like two months ago. Yes. Um, the Facebook thing, excuse me, Meta. So for those who don't know, it was Zuckerberg, Mark Zuckerberg talking about the future of the internet, something about web 3.0, which means that everyone's wearing VR helmets and interacting virtually, exercising mm-hmm. virtually, playing a bunch of video games in VR.
1: Working virtually.
0: Yeah, doing meetings. Yes,
1: having a virtual home where you store all your virtual goods. Yeah. I kept saying
0: that. I mean, the thing is, like, it's just so on the nose that I don't even I don't even know where to start to criticize it, or if I even want to. It's just kind of it's like you just say the things and that is enough to criticize it, I think. It's true. One thing I do find very positive is on the on the comments of the YouTube videos about the metaverse, it was across the board negative. Mm-hmm. Everyone sharing a similar repulsion. There's really mm-hmm. no other word or disgust. Yeah. Um, to us, which I love. But yeah, it does contrast nicely with what we were going to talk about, which is this romance that we think a lot of young people have with regards to living off the grid or just going back in time somehow mm-hmm. to be pre-internet, pre-industrialization. I don't know. And it's, it's hard to find statistics on this, so it might, it's, it might just be anecdotal. But I do think you can look at the popularity of things like cottagecore online, dark academia, Animal Crossing was a giant thing during the pandemic, mm-hmm. which is a game all about literally starting from new on a desert island mm-hmm. and building up everything around you. And uh, and yeah, we wanted to just speak personally as well, because that's a feeling that we've both had mm-hmm. for the future. I like the idea of living on a boat. I can't sail and I'm scared of the ocean, but mm-hmm. I just think there's such a spirit of adventure and freedom about it, which, which mm-hmm. obviously characterizes living in a forest, just starting anew somewhere, yeah. which is exciting for people. But I came up with three underlying reasons, which I think people might kind of pine for this type, type of lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And the primary one, and the one I think that's most important, is meaning, yeah. the meaning that comes with it, or slash difficulty. Because I have this, um, this idea that people, when it comes to technological innovations or just new ways of living, mm-hmm. people right now don't actually want... It's not exactly accurate to say people want an easier life. Mm-hmm. I think it might be more true to say people want a harder one. And this and this is not trying to be kind of ignorant to the struggles of people working minimum wage, paycheck to paycheck, mm-hmm. struggling to pay rent and stuff. I don't mean difficulties like that because those aren't enjoyable. Those aren't fun. No. I mean um, difficulties for which the individual is actually responsible.
1: Yeah, I call that a good kind of stress because yeah, everyone stress. living in the normal world basically is stressed more Mm. than ever in history. So it's like, why would living off the grid where you literally have to be afraid of an avalanche, be afraid of like a weather storm way more than you would if you were living in a city? Yeah. Why would that be any better? But it's like, I feel like it's a good kind of stress. Well, it's
0: because it depends on you. It's 100% dependent Mm -hmm. on you. Whereas today supply chains get cut Mm -hmm. or a global pandemic yeah, or your landlord raises the rent Mm -hmm. or just toast. Like individual responsibilities like that, that rely on our own competence are just fundamentally different from COVID, politics,
1: mm-hmm.
0: wages, et cetera, economics.
1: Yeah.
0: Like if there was a, just a big recession
1: mm-hmm.
0: caused not at all by me or you mm-hmm. or most people listening to this, we just suffer mm-hmm. for something that was not our not our fault. And this kind of goes into my second underlying reason that I think people romance for living off the grid, which is... A kind of uh, growing misanthropy, which comes from overexposure to people. Mm -hmm. Like, I know, hopefully people relate to this. When you watch the news and whatever your politics, whatever your views, you just get disgusted. Mm -hmm. Like, you just think, I'm done with people. Yeah. I mean, with COVID, this is especially obvious. Mm
1: -hmm. But yeah,
0: you just, you know.
1: Yeah. And I think if you lived off the grid your faith in humanity would be restored because, okay, you could go live literally <laughs> from in the middle of the woods. But for the most part, most people that I've seen who grow off the grid, they befriend their neighbors. Even if their neighbors live several kilometers away, you literally have to work together. It's like, oh, one person's going into town. They'll get everything that everyone needs. Mm. Oh, there's one car in this community. We all kind of share it. And I feel like even if your neighbor had completely different politics than you, they were like an old person who you just kind of like really didn't get along with due to different experiences, I feel like you would still find the humanity Mm. in each other a way that we can't seem to manage to do on the internet. Yeah. Well,
0: I think with the mass media and the mass news, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: it promotes division. Like everyone always says Mm -hmm. that people actually get more racist from watching the news, Mm -hmm. for instance, like that's, that was a, there was a study that proved that, but it's like, um, yeah, the news just highlights all the worst parts of humanity. Yeah. So it's not fun to watch. And you don't come out of it a better person, I think.
1: Mm-hmm. And we always talk about how like the internet makes us way more independent. It feels like it's like it's me against the world. And I feel like people who are looking at living off the grid, they might say, well, isn't that going to make you way more independent and way more like isolated from your fellow man? Mm. But I feel like that isn't the case. It's like a good kind of dependence, a good kind of stress. I
0: mean, I'd, I've never lived off the grid, so I don't know. I'm just talking about why mm-hmm. people might desire okay. it. yeah. Fair enough. Third reason that I think is just the aesthetics, like the beauty of it. Mm-hmm. There's no graffiti, which is great. Yeah. There would be no, I don't know, cigarettes. Sorry for people who smoke who listen. And it's, it's closeness to nature. We haven't actually talked a lot about nature on this podcast, even though we're talking all about degrowth. And um, there's there's nothing more beautiful than nature. However nice the town is that you're in, that's my opinion anyway.
1: Mm-hmm. Some of the things I was thinking of of why people might want to live off the grid. They kind of like are aligned with yours, but I'll just mention them. One of them is that you always have something to do, but like, again, in a good way. Yes. Right now we wake up and it's like, we have something to do from the time we wake up to the time we go to bed, but none of it is fulfilling for the most part. None
0: of it's directly for you. Yes. You're making money for someone else so that you can make a sliver of it.
1: Yeah. And I feel like we all crave having something to do. Yes, we do. (laughs) And so that's kind of the fun part of living off the grid. I was watching Isabel Page, who has a YouTube channel, and she doesn't live off the grid, but she lives, like, in the middle of the woods on the electrical grid, but everything else she's self-sufficient in, and she was like, I was sick for two weeks, and it was really nice, because literally all I had to do was cut the wood, like, focus on surviving, and for some reason, that felt nice, is basically what she said. She was yeah. like, it was the only time in my life I've ever just survived, and <laughs> that's a really unique experience, and I think it would make us enlightened, almost.
0: The other thing about it is, I mean, people would still want, I don't know, video game consoles and internet access. Mm-hmm. But if you didn't have those things, what I was referring to in like the old Scottish cabin that had an instrument, it's like there would just be quiet every night, should I say, it would be quiet and mm. um, and just in the cabin, you yeah. know, it wouldn't be on a screen or with a VI headset of somewhere else. And it's yeah. like, that makes you more bored and potentially Mm -hmm. more miserable. But I have this little theory that boredom and misery are good for humans.
1: Yeah, Yeah, that's where creativity and problem solving come from. That's true. Because if we were never bored, we would never have any ideas, basically, because your brain would have no time to come up with the ideas. Mm. And if you can always just Google the answer, you're going to have zero problem solving skills. And another cool thing about living off the grid, I feel like, with problem solving is like, you're not going to have everything at your disposal the way we kind of do in a city. It's like if I need a cheese grater, I can just go buy a cheese grater. Right. But if you're off the grid, you're going to have to try and figure out how to grate some cheese using a knife or a cheese shredder or what a vegetable shredder as we do.
0: Vegetable peeler.
1: Peeler, yeah. I'd be interested to know how many of our listeners like have a desire to do this or have at least considered it because I feel like the numbers would be high.
0: Well, especially now. Yeah. It's like every time I check the news or I just read about government mm-hmm. or the pandemic, it just really makes me want to. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, we're not self-sufficient is yeah. the thing. Like so, we have to
1: learn how to do everything.
0: Yeah, that's why it's strictly for now, for the most part, just a romantic thing. Mm-hmm. Like with the cottagecore people, it's like, oh, I just want to live in a cabin and make my own dresses and stuff. But it's mm-hmm. like, but you can't sew. Mm-hmm. No offense to those people, but that's... You know, the skills are lacking. And of course, mm-hmm. it's not our fault, but it can be remedied by us. So, yes. Yeah.
1: I feel like when people are introduced to the concept of degrowth, what they imagine is everyone living off the grid yeah. sort of thing. But I feel like we should probably make a note that that just isn't what it will be like in no, a degrowth yeah, future.
0: This, this is a completely separate conversation, yeah. <laughs> basically.
1: Yeah, I think some people live off the grid in a degrowth future.
0: Just like they do today.
1: Yeah, but it's really useful to be on a grid and to be in a community. and. Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. Especially if it's all sustainable and a bit more personable.
0: Speaking of personable, Mm -hmm. the organism of the week this week, I was inspired by our question about degrowth and art. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I'm just going to choose a fictional species.
1: Okay. And
0: since we've recently been rewatching the Hobbit movies, Mm -hmm. not sure why, um, (laughs) the eagles.
1: Eagles. That's
0: the organism of the week. So I'm going to show you an image. You have to describe it.
1: Wait, are we talking about... Eagles or the eagles? The eagles. The eagles or are the, coming. the great
0: eagles. The, okay. eagles. the great eagles are coming. Okay.
1: So the great eagles, huge. Yeah. Bigger than a man. Oh, yeah. Bigger than a wizard.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Huge wingspan. All brown. Do
0: you want to know the wingspan? <laughs> what's,
1: what's the wingspan? Well,
0: I could only find uh, Tolkien's words on the wingspan for the biggest uh, eagle, who was appropriately named the Lord of Eagles. Mm-hmm. And it was 180 foot.
1: Oh, my goodness. Yeah. That's like a building.
0: Sure.
1: I don't actually know. And the eagles are so majestic when they come screeching in, <laughs> you just feel awe. Yes, even if oh, the that's CGI is horrible. Well,
0: that's why I showed you an <laughs> illustration.
1: Yes, I prefer the illustration much more to the CGI eagles.
0: Shout out to uh, Ted Naismith, who is a famous Lord of the Rings illustrator. Because I was mm-hmm. looking through his drawings, they're very romantic, mm-hmm. very lovely. So the eagles, if you want to hear a little bit of their lore, they were associated with the Valar, who are -hmm. kind of like Middle Earth's angels. The eagles are sentient. They can talk. And they typically like to help men, elves, and wizards in their quest to defeat evil.
1: Nice. Good for them.
0: I love the eagles. I know there's a lot of people who are Lord of the Rings fans. And I I guess we're kind of Lord of the Rings fans. Yes. um, Who don't like them because they're they're just a plot device. They're a bit of an ex machina. yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> in the movies and a little bit in the books as well. But I don't know. I just, I think they're very inspiring. They're art that inspires an appreciation for nature, which is the kind of art that I like.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And they're eagles. Even small eagles are cool. So big ones are yeah. just double cool.
1: Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen an eagle?
0: Uh, I don't think so.
1: Ah, uh, They're really cool. Mm. There's a part of Nova Scotia which had a lot of eagles. And when you see them screeching through the sky, you'd be like... Whoa, yeah. scared.
0: You're really fixed on the screeching, aren't you?
1: Well, it's because there's this person on YouTube that you listen to sometimes, and his, what is it called?
0: Oh, you mean, okay, so there's a musician on YouTube who makes, like, hip hop remixes. Yes. And his kind of DJ tag is just an eagle screech, that he plays before the before the beat drops or it's something. His
1: DJ tag. Yeah. And I just like that, because I feel like they're usually just, like, a name or something, they're but ve- he just has they're the They're very screech. musical, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, I always think of it. And I try and mimic that Eagle.
0: ad-lib in my life sometimes. We'll just be out and about. Not so much since we moved into a city.
1: Yeah, that would be concerning. People and walking I just by.
0: hit the screech. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you definitely used to do that way more and I didn't like it because it was scary. Uh, since we're at a little bit of an, a break here, Aaron decided not to do his homework for a second week in a row.
0: Right, okay. just so
1: going to call him out because...
0: Well, here's the thing, okay? So the homework, if people <laughs> remember from last week and indeed the week before, mm-hmm. was um, to relate degrowth to one of the UN's 17, 17, 16, 17, sustainable development goals. Mm-hmm. And I, I did it halfway and I picked a goal, but then I just felt weird trying to talk about developing places and degrowth, which mm-hmm. is kind of fundamentally about places that are already developed. And I was like, I don't want to be telling people how to, how to develop. So uh, mm-hmm. I chose not to out of ethical reasons. Would you accept that as a professor? Uh, no, you wouldn't.
1: I might. Because I feel like there is a bit of a thing. Like the sustainable development goals are just kind of universally like what even.
0: Yeah, there's just no point to them.
1: Yeah, they're just kind of silly. Like the original set, the, what were they called? The UN millennial development goals. They were literally pretty much all met by accident. So it's like, glad they're met, but it's like, it just kind of was a bunch of accidents that made them happen. So these ones, I think they're kind of fun when you are trying to invent a project or when you're trying to come up with ideas, they're kind of inspiring because they're all different goals and I feel like they can be applied to developed countries is the thing. So that's kind of what I took them as. I was thinking of like North American countries and I chose SDG 1, which is no poverty. And the essence of it was climate action is like completely linked to social justice and social sustainability. I'm not going to go into it because it's not a full segment. But I feel like that's kind of how it is with all the sustainable development goals. It's just like, in degrowth, we're looking at the big picture. We're not just looking at ocean plastic cleanup. We're not just looking at... Minimum wage increases and universal basic income. It's like we're looking at how it's all connected and therefore encouraging sustainable development.
0: Can we come up with some kind of question from that jumble? Maybe if we tried to form our own set of degrowth goals? Yeah, I like that. Okay. We're not going to set it at 17, though. There might not be that many.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, solo scene development goals, we'll say. SDGs. (laughs) (laughs)
0: SDGs. <laughs> <laughs> so we have degrowth goals.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> we just try and get a hashtag. Yeah. Just always, we see people talking about the SDGs. We're like, oh, it's catching on. Yeah. <laughs> like,
1: oh, the UN's talking about it. Good for
0: them. <laughs> okay. So moving on to our last uh, question of the day, which was to provide real life examples of degrowth technology, which we alluded to last week. Not gonna lie, I struggled with this one as well and feel like I'm not pulling my weight as co-host. Well, I was struggling with just this, this term of degrowth technology. Because mm-hmm. it's like inherently degrowth is is um, is something of a pushback against most technological advances. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking technology that enhances our own capabilities and not just that which makes things more convenient at the expense of other things. Like that is broadly how I define degrowth technology. So one is like a bicycle. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: It's like, this is a piece of technology, which is pretty much just good. Mm -hmm. Makes us stronger, helps us get around. Mm. I think they're nice looking. Yeah. Can be made sustainably. Musical instruments is another one, but I struggled with finding, or maybe it just wasn't imaginative enough, things that are being developed today. Mm -hmm. So maybe you can help us out there.
1: Yeah. I chose all systems because. I think there's a lot of degrowth information technology that I talked about last week, like the apps that tell you where there's public washrooms, where to get food that has been marked down, and so on. And I think that's the main area of growth, but also technology that builds competence. So I learned that there is this social media for yarn artists where you share skills, you answer each other's questions, you share links to good places to get yarn in your community and so on. And I was like, this feels like a degrowth technology because it's building community, but it's like these people are very clearly plugged into the real world. They're knitting and crocheting and making wall hangings. So I think it's kind of a fun example. But the ones that I chose to mainly talk about were ones that build competence and build community. So I chose, there is this project that I did for university. The project was essentially to help this organization that was starting up within a community and they were reopening this old storefront that had a ton of history in the community. Like everyone who was over the age of like 60 members when it was in operation. They remember their grandparents telling stories about it. And we, instead of just saying, hey, we're going to turn this old space into a community center or we're going to turn it into a market. What we did was we worked with the community. We went around and we collected a bunch of stories and ideas from what the people needed and then what we ended up doing in the space and they're still working on it because we only worked on it for like six months was we did a market because it was originally like a general store where people would go to buy food but we didn't want to just do okay this is a strictly commercial space there's also options to have a membership like a co-op where you could either volunteer to work there and get food in exchange or you could swap your products or Honestly, if you came in and you were like, I need food, their intention is to just provide food for the community, but they also are using the space to have workshops on how to repair bikes and how to repair tools. They also have a tool library where you can go and rent out a chainsaw if you needed it or a hammer instead of having to buy one of your own. And then upstairs, there was a community kitchen and a bunch of conference rooms where people could rent them out for birthday parties or for workshops or whatever they wanted to, a yoga class perhaps, and it just feels like these types of institutions are the future of the species, is these kind of multi-purpose spaces which were developed with the community saying, what do you need? Here you go. Here, here's your thing. What do you think of that?
0: Sounds good. It sounds good. Don't you think it'll be better if it was in the metaverse, though? No. <laughs> I think that should be, just as an aside, not ignoring what you said, but that should be a question for next week. Just like um, an argument against the metaverse. Okay. Because you kind of sprung it on me this week, so I didn't it's true. Didn't really come prepared. I mean, we only watched it a few hours ago.
1: Mm-hmm. And yeah, we but need yeah. some time to let that seep in. <laughs> Become a core memory, Yeah. basically. Uh, and then the other technology that chose were woofing. Do you know what woofing is?
0: No. no. Something about dogs.
1: Hmm, no. So I think there's like some sketchy stuff with woofing. I've only like very briefly heard about it, but I'm going to just kind of in an idealized way talk about it. Basically, woofing is this website where farmers say, we need farm hands. People say, we want to travel. We want to have experience farming. We will work for you. And instead of paying the people, sometimes they pay them, but they will provide them home, food, adventures, kind of take them in, teach them their ways. And it's a very symbiotic relationship. Some people are learning, some people are gaining farm hands. And it feels like very deep growth because it's building in a lot of young people. Sometimes I think people take advantage of the system, but a lot of people just have a genuine interest in learning how to farm. Yeah. It's like, how are we going to do that? Because it's not practical to have to go live in a new area, buy all the food and everything. But in this way, it's like you're sustained like you're not going to go hungry you're not going to like not have a place to live and you're going to learn all these skills which i think is really cool
0: it's very collaborative and it's a kind of non-economic transaction right yeah informal economy Mm -hmm. yeah when it comes to degrowth technology one that i did come up with was like decentralized energy stuff especially green energy stuff so like tiny wind turbines Mm
1: -hmm.
0: solar panels on your house i think it'd be cool if we each had the ability to wire those I think so. You can build those. Um, And Hydro, which there are a few companies Hmm. that sell, and they're pretty popular in some places, small, um, rather domestic water turbines that you can use to just generate electricity for yourself. So one company I found was called Power Spout, which I like Hmm. the name. That is a good name. Which is a company that makes exactly those. They're in New Zealand, and they they also make them using like 70% recycled materials, which is cool. Oh, that's really nice. Yeah.
1: yeah, I feel like any degrowth technology is technology that kind of functions outside of the economic system.
0: Well, Outside of the existing one, for sure. Yes,
1: because it's like, yeah, money might be involved, but it's like, if we are functioning entirely within the economic system, like we are right now, our food's reliant on it, our power, our housing, and then it collapses, as you were saying, we're helpless. So yeah. perhaps if we all had a few of these different plugins, okay, maybe I don't... Maybe I'm plugged into the actual electricity grid, but I get all my food from a local farmer and my employer is not just paying me money. They're also paying me a local currency or they're also providing other resources to me, housing or whatever. If the economy collapses. You're not as desolate. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what about um, podcasts? Do you think that's a degrowth tech?
1: of we were talking about radio the other day yes i feel like podcasting there could be just like a podcast radio network perhaps okay. but also like getting them over your phone isn't the worst thing in the world because you know looking at a screen which i like
0: that's true i like the idea that i mean we might end up filming this podcast it's true just a little easter egg for the people who listen <laughs> um in the in the coming weeks and months you might see us Ugh. if you want that'd be kind of weird
1: you're gonna have to start wearing pants <laughs>
0: So <laughs> we thought we would never mention that on air, but I just you get really sometimes I, get sweat, sometimes I sweat sometimes I sweat when we talk.
1: So. you have a fleece jumper on and just these linen shorts.
0: <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, anyway. Um I like the idea of radio because everyone's listening to every to something at the same time. I think that's really mm-hmm. that's really beautiful. And I know it, it's hilarious because we moved from radio and from television to streaming because we don't want to have to listen to everything mm-hmm. only at 6 p.m. But I, I don't know. I like the community feel of it. I like the idea of it being church bells mm-hmm. or a rooster in the morning. Everyone's listening to it. I think that's neat. Mm-hmm. You know what else is called degrowth technology? What? seen zine.
1: It is a cool degrowth technology because it's beautiful, sustainable, tactile. You can touch it. Rip it. Burn it. As it, fuel. If you want. But that was what our thinking behind making a zine, was it was like something that people would have in their hands, and it's like, oh, we've been listening to this podcast for weeks and months. So abstract. But then you have the zine, and you're like, this is so cool, and you can hand it around. You can yeah leave it for someone to find on a bench.
0: I was mostly just trying to set you up to plug it.
1: Oh, buy, buy the zine if you're interested. <laughs> it's fun to read and to write in, and you can get it on our website. Yeah, so it was theme.org. Yep. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Bye.